Get ready for the Very Visible Business Podcast with David Avrin. Each week featuring a candid and raucous conversation with some of the most innovative, outspoken, and entrepreneurial business minds in the world today. This is the Very Visible Business Podcast, and here's David Avrin. And welcome to the Very Visible Business Podcast. I'm David Avrin, and I am thrilled to be here with my friend, my colleague, my brother-in-arms, Mr. Uh, Eric Chester. And before we let you chime in, I'm going to give you the formal introduction, and then I'll do the informal introduction as well. Eric Chester is a trusted source in the global dialogue on employee engagement, workplace culture, and the emerging generation. And he isn't some Johnny-come-lately to this important conversation since 1986. Eric's been in the trenches researching, studying, speaking, and writing about these topics. He was one of the first authors to spell out the radical differences of the post-gen workforce in his, ninth, in his 2002 best-selling book, Employing Generation Y. And I will tell you, Eric coined the term Generation Y, and it's not a Y with the letter Y, it's spelled W-H-Y, as in, why do I have to show up on time? Why do I have to wear this stupid uniform? And why can't I wear this nose ring? Um, and I've worked here for two, uh, for two weeks, why can't I have your job? That's exactly right. You know, <laughs> why, can't, why can't I start as, as the department manager at $45,000 a year? Um, Companies discovering that Eric had cracked the code on the emerging generation sought his advice on how to connect with young employees. He has become one of the most in-demand conference keynote speakers presenting at more than 60 meetings and conventions each year. That number increased with his follow-up book, Getting Them to Give a Damn, How to Get Your Frontline to Care About Your Bottom Line. It was released in 2005. And his brand new book, which is tearing up the charts, I think, I think your best work. It's called On Fire at Work, How Great Companies Ignite Passion in Their People without burning them out. I am thrilled to be joined by my my brother, Eric Chester. Eric, thanks for being here. Thank you, Dave. A lot of people call each other brothers, but you seriously are the the uh, brother I never had. And so yeah. I appreciate that. We we go back a long way and this is going to be a lot of fun, Dave. Congratulations on your podcast and uh, I'm thrilled to be here. You know, that's one of the coolest things about having your own podcast is you can have your friends over. But, um, but even better is when your friends are truly world-class experts, thought leaders, messengers, and those who help businesses. Um, if it was just gonna be my friends, I would, I would have my brothers on and they're, and they're dorks and, and the, the listeners have nothing to learn from them. But for you, um, I will tell you um, all um, uh, revelation here is you were my mentor in this business. You taught me, you taught me everything you know. Now, the good news is you didn't teach me everything I know. <laughs> but, but you tell me everything. Um, but earlier in this business, um, I watched you, uh, a Hall of Fame speaker, certified um, speaking professional, but one of the top 5% of speakers. But it's not just about the, the, uh, the stage and the platform skills, it's the content. And you're really very revolutionary in helping businesses understand um, how to engage and, and recruit and attract and retain the best of a younger generation. But that has expanded a bit, hasn't it? Well, it has, Dave. You know, uh, the, the 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 path. I I don't. I never sat back when I was in high school and thought, you know, geez, someday I want to be a motivational speaker. In fact, I was actually getting paid to speak before I even knew that other people got paid to speak. I before it was a thing. Before you, it was a thing. I mean, knew I, that it was a thing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I I basically was an unemployed teacher. You know, got bounced around a lot, and uh, finally decided, you know, I think I'm going to do something different. My parents were printers. 
Um, they printed up a flyer saying Eric Chester, dynamic motivational speaker for teenagers, um, you know, and we, we sent them out and I started getting calls. But even before that, I got hired by a local business college that wanted to increase their business in high schools. And so there was an ad in the paper for a high school presenter. Now, having been a teacher, uh, a career uh, teacher, a business teacher, I had had people from various colleges come to my classroom and do, you know, your attitude is showing and dress for success type presentations. And it always right. gave me a day off to say, okay, you can come in and I know you're going to talk about your college at the end, but go ahead. Cause it just gave me a chance to, you know, I didn't, it was one day out of five that maybe I could just, you know, work on my lessons plans for the rest or, or, or check my football scores. But, you know, the reality is, uh, so I knew what they were looking for. And I thought, you know, this, this sounds like it could be fun. So I went out and I started delivering presentations in high school classrooms that expanded to doing larger groups of students. And before long, you know, I thought I want to go out on my own. So I, I did. My parents printed up a flyer and I wound up speaking in schools throughout, you know, first Colorado in the front range. And then, you know, uh, word kind of spread. And it, it, before long, it was, you know, other schools and, and student conferences. And before long, you know, coast to coast and border to border. And so that was kind of cool is that I was a guy that was kind of like the Tony Robbins of, of high school, you know, of high school speakers. And, and, you know, that was, it was neat to go into a school and be able to have several thousand kids in a, in a gymnasium, listen to you for an hour. And it was very challenging because you had to be entertaining and fast paced, but at the same time you wanted to deliver a message, you know, about what students were dealing with, uh, you know, whether it was, uh, you know, violence, tolerism, bullying, you know, getting a good grade, don't drink and drive, you know, focus on your education, be cool to the people that are around you, don't bully other people, blah, 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 blah. Had to put all of that in. But my real message was, what are you doing today to prepare for tomorrow? So it's always been preparing young people for this next phase called a career. And I think that's where you and I originally met because I said, Dave, you know, I want to I, I'm, I, I don't want to be 50 years of age standing in gymnasiums talking to high school kids. You know, what do I do? And, and you had done this for the better part of a decade. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and I don't want to say I'd reached the plateau. There were other youth speakers that were better than I was, but I just kind of looked down the road and said, you know, what's next? And, you know, you were running a very successful PR agency. And I said, I brought you in to, to help me figure out how to sell a series of books that I had written for teenagers. And, I, you know, I kind of lamented and told you my issue. And I think you asked me a very profound question, which is, what, what, what do you, what, what have you learned? What, what do you, what have you earned the right to speak about? What, who wants to hear what you have to say? And we sat back and thought, you know, what, what seems to be a hot topic is this Generation X. You know, everyone wants to know in business seems about Generation X. But I revealed to you that this, the, the students I was talking can't, were cut from a different cloth. And things right. are different. And we kind of brainstormed and we went, you know, hey, this is not X, this is Y. And then you profoundly said Y as in the question and boom, the light bulbs went off and, you know, what well, happened? I, I think you're too kind in giving me credit. But here's, here's the part that I think is, is, is really relevant. Um, as we look at defining a generation, you were certainly on the forefront of recognizing there was a significant difference between this Generation X and what we call today millennials. At the time, it was Generation Y or Gen Y. But... We had a conversation that was very interesting at the time because you had learned and gleaned so much information, not just in your time on the platform or on the floor of the gymnasium or in the auditorium of these high schools and colleges as well, but you had had profound conversations before and after these presentations where the kids would flock to you and they would write to you and they would share with you some of these personal stories. And we had a very profound conversation that I remember, this was 20 years ago. 
when you said, Dave, I don't want to take the sacred information that I got from these precious young people that I've engaged with for, for over a decade and help businesses sell to them. That to me, I have no, no interest in. And what I really admire about you and that you've taken this, not just because, well, here was a reasonable path because you did the research behind it, was you said, I'm gonna help businesses get the most out of these people. I'm gonna help businesses help them become all that they can be. And I'm not trying to be trite because you weren't at the time either. It was how do we truly understand them so that we can engage them and recruit them and employ them and help them be successful in the workplace. And everything that you have done since has been a branch off of that tree about great respect. As people get on stage and they lament, oh, these damn kids and what are we gonna do with them? And you're like, are you kidding? This is the most, I don't mean to speak for you because I'm such a fan of, of your content. You're, you're like, these are the people who are the most um, flexible and, 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 and engaged and, and, and tolerant of, of others and no fear of technology. And so I think you've influenced not only a generation of kids, but a generation of businesses and business owners and business thinkers to recognize the gifts that come from these kids. Well, I think that, you know, the, the, the path for how do you become more successful in business was anything I knew about teenagers to just go out and say, you know, talk to companies and say, hey, you know, these guys have money, here's how to sell to them. And there's nothing inherently wrong, uh, uh, nothing wrong at all with marketing and, and targeting your marketing to, to younger people. Sure. That's not where I felt my calling. I mean, you know, here I am a career teacher. I want to try to help kids figure out, you know, this thing called, you know, work and career. And, you know, my kids were young at the time. They were all teenagers and, you know, asking the question, what's going to happen after school, et cetera. So for me, it felt more natural and it certainly felt you know, like it was, it was, a, it reached the depths of my soul. If I was able to help uh, business owners, leaders, and managers figure out that they could no longer employ uh, people with that, you know, command and control the same way of, you know, let me just put my arm around you, walk around the premises and say, keep your nose to the grindstone, your head down, do what I tell you. And someday maybe you could have a career here because I knew that was going to fall on death, deaf ears. I knew that the kids that I had been working with, that's not the way they were wired. And they wanted, they, they weren't blindly obedient to, you know, yesterday's social mores and what have you. They wanted some they wanted to know why. And that's where this Generation Y thing came from, which literally launched me into speaking to some of the world's biggest brands and, and leaders. I wasn't talking to the marketing arm. I was talking to the people who are on the operations side of business, the HR people, the managers, the franchise owners, the people who are going, I, 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 can't, I can't get these guys to deliver customers. I can't get them to show up for work. I can't get them to pull their pants up, take their nose ring out. What do I do? They were struggling. And I figured, hey, if, if I've learned anything about kids, it's you, you've got to have a relationship with them. You got to explain things because these guys haven't grown up with being indoctrinated by mom and dad in terms of how to be productive in the workplace. Their right. parents were more concerned with building their self-esteem. You know, you're different, you're special, which is exactly the same thing my dad said to me, just change the inflection. But you think you're different? You think you're special? So it was a, it was, it was, that. It was a question. It was a question for you and exactly. I. Exactly. So the reality was they had been raised differently. My kids had been raised differently. I love kids. How can I help kids succeed while helping businesses succeed? 
And that was a goal. And that's where it came from. Well, you know, what's interesting is, is I remember having the conversation and it led to what I think is one of the most brilliant business titles um, that I have seen was we started talking about, about what is the conversation we're hearing back from business owners, the frustrations that they're feeling, the disconnect. Um, it's not that there were problems with the kids. There was a problem with them understanding. Uh, and we say kids, but I mean, those kids today are probably in, in their 30s and beyond. And what you said to me was that the, the line you heard coming back again and again is how do I get them to give a damn, right? For right. us, it was, it was that, that Opie, you had a great chapter title called Finding Opie. How do you find that kid who shows up, puts, has the uniform right, works hard? Um, and so your title of, of getting them to give a damn and how to get your front line to care about your bottom line, I think so resonated in the marketplace. And I think to a great extent, put you on the map as well with some of the biggest companies in the world and franchisees and corporations who employ and engage and, and are looking to retain and get the best out of that young generation. Well, so you know, I, Dave, in, in, in a lot of that, and pardon me for interrupting you, but very fine. I will, I will, I gladly tell people that, you know, I've had, I've had four books, business books, uh, now leadership books, aside from the ones I wrote for teenagers, four business books, and every single one of those, the thing that's common among all of those is that you were instrumental in helping me formulate a title. You helped ask me the right questions because you see it from a marketing perspective. And we always sit back and go, when you're titling a book, when you're marketing to anything, you're trying to get somebody to go, hey, I'm taking this to market. What is it that we listen to the market? Right, we listened. So you turned around and went, "Wait a second, what is what are the, what are, what are people saying to you after your Generation Y programs?" And I'm going, "I hear a lot of these guys don't give a damn." So then the whole idea in the marketing angle, what if you could teach them to give a damn? How about getting them to give a damn? And then we did how to get your front line to connect with your bottom line. So you know, and and moving on with book titles, the one that followed that was. I can continue to hear about the declining work ethic in America. Right. Work ethic. We have no work ethic. These guys don't know how to work, et cetera, et cetera. So then you and I were brainstorming titles and that came about, wait a minute, how about reviving work ethic? Isn't that what we're trying to do? And then reviving work ethic came as a result of that. All these book titles, again, key marketing lesson, because I know most of the listeners are probably interested in your, you know, your ability to market and to brand and what have you, what you're so well known for. But it's not just, hey, how can we sell this stuff? How can we package our crap and make it go? That's never where you've been from. Our connection has been, who are you? What are we trying to do here? What is your value proposition to the what market? What problem are you solving? Exactly. What problem are you solving? And then let's, let's understand that if it's branded, and marketed as a solution to what the market you're speaking to really needs, they find you. They just, I'm not saying organically, but, but yes, organically and otherwise, because the other promotions that have followed have all dovetailed. I can deliver on what I'm asking. The solution to the problem that they're asking me is in the book. And then the, the branding pieces that we come up with, the marketing pieces are simply you know, I don't have to come up with some sensational type of, you know, uh, this is the cure for cancer that tastes like chocolate. All I have to do is go, look, this is the issue. And if you're struggling with this issue, here, we've, got the, we've got the solution. Well, we, 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 we agree on the whole idea. If you want people to talk about you, give them something to talk about. Their information is a dime a dozen. It, it's, it's, people are, are prolific in terms of content creation, but how many people are actually adding something new to the conversation? 
and and your groundbreaking work with Generation Y did that. So let's talk about let's talk to business owners now. Let's okay. talk about the challenges that they're facing in the workplace, how they can be exacerbated or solved by really understanding a new generation of workers, of talent, of insight. And how do you see some of the best companies harnessing that and manifesting that in the workplace? Well, there's a whole lot to unpack in that question. First of all, let's, let's understand what one of the biggest challenges uh, facing anybody who's in business right now, leaders, managers, owners, anybody that uh, you know, has, is out in the marketplace certainly understands that your biggest issue, especially in a booming economy, is not, can I get customers? It's, can I get people to serve them? I mean, no matter who you are, whatever business you're running right now, you're, you're probably your biggest problem isn't, can I get my phone to ring? Can I get, you know, can I get someone to, to, uh, to you know, use my services? It's like, can I get people uh, working for me so I can expand and solve the need I have? Right. And so and more than warm bodies. And, and this isn't an American problem. This is a global problem. I don't care where you are. And we could go back and say, well, it's a generational problem. It's an economic problem. It's all of those things wrapped into one giant, you know, ball. And it's, a, it's, it's creating a lot of sleepless nights. So here's the thing. I can guarantee you we will solve this current labor crisis when we have an economic collapse. Because as soon as the market falls, guess what? Everybody's going to cut their staff. And now all of a sudden, guess what? You'll have all the applications that you need. The problem is you won't have anybody that wants to give you money. There's right. nobody, nobody out. So that's the solution we're looking for. Exactly. So what we're looking at is a booming economy or business is brisk. And now the labor market is struggling. So my question always is to business owners is like, you know what your, uh, your consumer brand is. You know what differentiates you. You probably could sit down in any kind of a meeting where somebody's considering you or a partner and you could say, well, this is what makes us different. This is, this is what makes us unique. You know what you're advertising, your marketing, everything says to the consumer, the customer, the client, the, 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 the patient, whatever you call your end users. My question is, do you know what your employment brand says? How much time are you focusing on your employment brand? Because in today's world, you have to be you have to be able to market yourself to prospective job seekers and even people who aren't seeking a job. Because face it, right now in America and most, at least Western cultures, anybody that wants to work already has a job, right? So, so right. you don't want someone who's sitting back today, you know, playing video games and occasionally looking at their at their smartphone, hitting Craigslist, going, "Do I want to do I want to flip burgers or drive a forklift?" Right. That's not your key employee. The person you want working for you, guess what? Here's a tip. They already have a job. What are you going right. to do? What are you going to You have to be that savvy and that creative the same way that has made you successful in getting customers, clients, patients, people to buy your service. Now you have to focus all that energy and become, and it's not just, oh, what can I say to get them to apply? Because it isn't just getting them to apply. It's keeping them. It's retention. What are you right. doing to retain your customers? What are you doing to retain your employees? Are you the best, the best provider of your service or your business? Do you have, you know, do you compete on price, on value? What do you compete on when it comes to the marketplace? Now let me ask you a question. What do you compete on when it comes to your employees? Turnover, I can't keep them. But, but let me ask you this, because some people would, would, would look for the simplistic solution and say it's all about um, 
perks, right? It's all about amenities. It's that we've got free food. How much value is that? And how much is it really the culture and how your employees communicate that culture to their friends and colleagues and online? Well, different people have different needs. I mean, somebody might say, hey, all you have to do is let me bring my dog to work and I, that's, that's all I want. Right. right. I don't. Some other people. Well, you know what? I just need uh, a huge salary. I'm a single. You know, I've got, I've got a significant other who's spending money like you know, like, like Rome is burning. So you know, I just need to make more money, and that's what's important to them. Somebody else says, you know, I never got enough love as a kid, and all I want is somebody to come by every 15 minutes and say, "Good job, son." So you know what? It's it's this wide open marketplace. It's not one size fits all. So is it important to have a ping pong table in your break room? Well, to some people it is, you know, but what if you run a construction company and there is no break room? What are you doing? So the, the, the question is, um, you know, how do I get and keep good people? And I think the answer is you got to be a better place to work. Now, what does that mean? It means different things to different people and to different organizations. And yes, you, you, you better pay people competitive salary or maybe what I call fair plus. We can dive into that later if you want. You better be a values driven company, you know, making more than money, you're making meaning out there. You're doing something for somebody else other yep. than lining your pockets. You better be a good communicator. You better not only listen, uh, you know, be able to, to share what's going on throughout your organization with the people all the way down to the front lines. You better be a good listener. You better be good at, at giving autonomy and control. Nobody wants to work for a micromanager. You got to be good in seven different areas that I call cultural pillars. And so it's learning from great companies who are doing cool, innovative things and saying, how can I adapt that to my workplace? How can I continue to be a better place to work than my competitors so that when people come in or when, when people in my area are looking for a job, there's only one answer. They got to come to me. Nobody else does what I do for, you know, uh, for their people. That's what you want to be. You want to have that reputation because if you do that, now you get the best people and guess what? Business booms. Right. And, and then, of course, it manifests itself from an external perspective for your customers and clients. They see that healthy company and it's who they want to do business. But let me ask this. How important is it us, for us as we create that culture, as we create a better place, and I, and I could not agree more, is if you want to attract great people, be a, be a great place to work because everything is shared today, Eric. How much, how intentional um, are you finding companies or are you encouraging companies to be, I mean, there's resources out, there's a glass door, which is sort of that employment version of Yelp or TripAdvisor or Rotten Tomatoes. How much are people looking up and looking to social media and others to find the inside scoop on what the culture is? How much are, are, are what are companies doing in terms of intentionally encouraging the sharing of positive information? Well, here's the thing, you know, you can, as a company, you can do everything you possibly can. Again, let's just keep making this, the comparison to your, your, your brand in the marketplace. You can really try hard to, to have a stellar brand in the marketplace, but if your burritos give people salmonella, right? I mean, it doesn't matter what you do from a branding perspective, what's going to happen? It will spread. Every, everything will spread. Everything's going to spread. So the reality is, it's the same thing in the workplace. You can work really hard to spread the word, do your own PR campaign on what a great place you are to work. But in today's world with, you know, the advent of social media and the internet, and again, a lot of the, your listeners, they don't know it any other way, but everybody is talking and your culture is showing. So you can say we're a great place to work, but if your employees say otherwise, 
Uh, and most people know before they make a job change, they're going to research. They're going to know. Just like yeah. before I buy anything on Amazon, I'm going to look at the reviews. You know, yeah. before I go out to eat, I'm going to look on Yelp. I'm going to see what other people say about this place. You know, you, your brand can tell me anything they want, but we're, we live in this age of distrust, right? The person who has, um, you know, has skin in the game is going to say what they want to say. So I want to hear about, I want to hear from people who have no skin in the game. I want to hear really what does the crowd say? So yes, is that your, your, your reviews are going to matter. And there is, there, there's a, a wide variety of those of ways to check that out. So you bet you need to have strong, you need to have a happy culture, people who are, yeah. are engaged there. What, what about What about encouraging advocates? I mean, one of the things that we know, and we've known this for a long time in basic guest relations philosophy is that, that people who have a negative experience are more likely to share their experience than somebody who was fine. If somebody was fine, they liked it, everything is good, they're generally quiet, they go about their business. But it's the people who are on the extremes, the people who absolutely have the, like the greatest experience or the one who is so freaking furious that they go online and rant. And of course, the, the competitors are dealing with the same dynamic, right? You're not in a vacuum. It's not just you. Everybody has to deal with this. But some of the smartest and most savvy companies are giving their happy customers the vehicles and the venues to share that information. They're giving them hashtags. I've seen restaurants, Eric, that have selfie sticks collapsed in the middle of the table. They leave them in the table. They're basically telling people, if you like what's going on, Take that selfie, um, share that great experience. Uh, what we used to have in restaurants, and you and I grew up in that era, that at the pizza place or the ice cream parlor, there was that cork bulletin board on the wall, right? Right. And it was covered with Polaroids of people having a great time. They come in with their team, they come in, they've got the challenge pizza or the mound of ice cream with their, their birthday party. That wall today is Instagram. Yes. Right, we're taking it out. So. Can we as companies learn from the marketing world and some of those new trends and encourage our happy employees, those who are having great experiences, to share their experience as well? Are you finding that at all? Is there, is there a, an ethical challenge with that? No, I don't think there's any ethical challenge. I mean, you want people, you, 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 you know, if, if people are happy, in the, if you know you got a good culture, you're surveying your, your employees and you're finding out, you know what? We got good reviews, got happy people here. We're con we got our finger on the pulse. We know what's happening. We want people to talk and we don't want to just talk to the happy people. We want everybody to talk. We know that there's going to be the good, the bad and the ugly, but the good is going to far outweigh the bad or the ugly. So here's the question. If companies are bold enough to put a selfie stick on their table, obviously they feel like they're going to give good service, great food, right? Right. Here's my question. Well, that same company put that selfie stick in the, in the kitchen. You know, will they, will they put it back by the dishwasher? Will they say, hey, are you having a great experience? If so, share that. We want you to know. That's the, and maybe it's a little, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm saying something that, you know. No, but, but, I, but the point is very well made. But the bravado, do you have the courage, right? If you focus as much on what's happening behind the scenes as you do on putting a happy face on what your customers think, right? You know, we want happy customers to share and we want to make it easy for them to share. Are we, go, are we working behind the scenes to make sure our people yeah. are happy? And if they are, are we saying, you know what? Share, share your thoughts. We want to know. Yes, we want to, we care enough about you that if, that, if you would only give us one star, we, want, we don't want to just say, hey, I, I have an open door policy, which is a joke. What does that mean? Right. Open door policy, you ever have a problem around here, you come and tell me, wait a second. 
you should care enough that you know if I'm having a problem because you're not waiting for me to come to you. You're going out of your way and you're coming to me and you've got your finger on your pulse and you know whether I'm having a good day or a bad day. Now, a lot of people are gonna listen to this and say, God, that sounds like a lot of work. And it is, but it's what it takes to survive. So if you're out there having these kinds, the, the kind of relationship that it takes to really bond people to what they're doing, finding out how they're feeling, et cetera, then you don't have any problem with them sharing that, right? Share it. I'm not gonna, I, if I've got an unhappy employee, I need to know. If turnover, uh, you know, if, if retention is a problem in your organization. Right, turnover, you know your numbers. Yeah, yeah if you know your numbers. It, it, the, the question is, the thing that always stuns me is when somebody comes up and goes, I had no idea that person was going to leave. Well, guess what? You just said, I'm an idiot. Because if you, right. you need to know how people feel about their job, right? What is going to, here you are, you've been working for us for a couple of weeks. What do you think? What can I do to be a better boss? If you had a magic wand right now, what would you change around here? What do you like best about here? What do you, is there anything you think I should, you don't have to do what they're saying. It's just like we, we survey our customers on restaurants, grocery stores, retailers. Hey, fill out the survey on the back of your receipt and we all send you a gift certificate. Do you do the same thing with your employees or is it once a year you pull them in for, a, for an annual performance review to find out whether or not they like their job? Do you see what I'm talking about? Right. It has to be that level of we want to know. We want to know what you're thinking, and we have people here that are so concerned with making this a good place to work because we know that if we do that, we don't have to spend as much marketing to people. If word is going to spread, we're going to have five-star reviews. People are going to love coming here because we have happy employees. Happy employees give better service, make better products. They're going to be around a lot. So it's if my focus is here on happy employees, then what happens out there is just it's going to be great. Right. Well, and you're creating competitive advantage. I mean, putting those things, I like when you talk about that, you know, your, your marketing brand, you spend a lot of time on that, but do you know your employment brand? I, I, I spoke a couple of years ago in, in Bangalore, India, I was hired by a, a human resources conference or what they call over there a Congress. And it was, and that's what I spoke on specifically, which was how, what are you known for in the marketplace from a marketing perspective and how do you use that to attract the right people. And, and as I watch that, that grow and people understand, and, and so much of it is driven by the fact that we share everything. I talk, I talk to my kids, I say, uh, and it's a horribly cynical thing, but I say, you know, the difference between love and the internet, the internet is forever and ever and ever. It's a horribly cynical thing. I know to tell my kids, but nothing goes away and everything is shared. And the best way we can guard ourselves against some of those negative comments, which don't go away, is by, by creating a culture that encourages the positive ones, that takes care of those who are struggling. And I also like the idea of encouraging those, if you have a good experience, please share that. We do that in our, in our world. We do that with retail establishments and restaurants. I love the idea of doing it uh, internally as well. Let me ask you to put on your, your, your futurist hat, your prognosticator hat. As we look at the next generation coming, now whatever they wanna call it, maybe even it's post Z. Um, it's the people right now, it's, it's, it's the girl who just got her big girl bed. It's the little boy who just graduated to pull-ups. Whatever that generation is, is in 10 years, in 12 years, they're going to be in the workforce. What do you see coming down the pike? Is it, is it um, a, an exaggeration of what we see today? Is that, um, is, is it that, that's, that 
we can extrapolate and say as bad as they are, or as, as, as opinionated as they are, they'll be that much more the next generation, or as technology dependent as they are, they'll be, have cranial implants and they'll be completely disengaged? Or do you see something positive coming out of that as well? I would, I, you know, boy, wouldn't I love to sit back and say, hey, wait, we're going to go to a return to values and, and this new generation is going to come in is, it's, it's cyclical and they'll be like, uh, you know, they'll be like the, the silent or traditionalist generation and they'll give their heart and their soul to a company, um, you know, and, and plan to work for 40 years for a little gold watch. That's not going to happen. There's more of a free agent mentality than there ever has been before. And I think it's going to be more and more challenging. Each generation is going to bring a whole new set of attitudes and values. And people today are taught to follow their dreams, to do what they love, to love their job, to be do what is passionate. And they're sitting back on, you know what? I don't feel passionate about mowing lawns or, or hanging drywall or you know, uh, being a radiologist, it's just not really what I'm passionate about. And so all that messaging is, what do you want? What is good for you? That's what's most important. And that the tragedy that is, is that when people consider themselves first, and they're thinking only about themselves, it's one that takes away from the mission of service. So face it, work is work. It's not easy. That doesn't mean, I mean, you know, Jay, uh, Dave, we talk about it all the time. We are very fortunate in what we get to do. And the public sees and hears what you're doing right now, right? They hear a podcast by Dave Avern and a guest, right? You'll have fabulous people on your show. Right. And we're just of, talking and we're, right. we get paid right. for a living and we just talk. Right. And, and so you do it yeah. for an hour and you're going to get X amount of dollars for doing this. It's the same thing. You go walk up on stage and you're going to talk for an hour and everybody sees that. Just like I can go watch, I don't know, I can, I can go watch, uh, you know, uh, uh, Taylor Swift and watch her for three hours of concert. Oh, she made, you know, a million dollars just tonight in this concert or, you know. For two hours work. No, 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 no. It, that what people don't understand is what's under that ice that 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 under the polar cap they don't see the years of work and tyranny not for everybody i mean some right. people can some, some teenager can become a youtube star and make a, a buku amount of money just for sharing some odd opinion so there are exceptions to the rule and i think that right there is one of the biggest challenges that we face is that so many people are exposed to the exceptions to the rule because right. And they think that's the path to follow. That's it. They see this person who's become either a YouTube star or one America's Got Talent or, you know, you can yep. dance any of the other entertainment shows or they get drafted. Or they won the lottery and that's yeah, how they, I'm going to get rich because I'm going to play the lottery. NBA right out of, uh, you know, it used to be right out of high school, but now it's one year out of college, sign a $90 million contract, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. All these exceptions, which really are so minuscule in terms of the masses. And then there's this disappointment. Why didn't I get that? Everybody else seems like they're doing great. And me, I'm having to put part A into part B. And I've worked at this job now for three months and nobody's come and made me an offer to, to be part of the you know, executive team. Right. All that fear of I'm missing out, this, it's not working, I don't know what's happening, and this disconnection. So do I see a bright future? No, I see it more challenging than ever before. It's challenging for parents because they're going to have to, if they want their kids to succeed, they're going to have to give them the responsibility, the diligence, the hard work, the roll up your shirt sleeve. This is not glamorous. Things are difficult. It's not an easy world. They have to teach their kids that, that 
Keep your nose to the grindstone, hard work. Yes, pursue what you love, but do it with passion and energy and, right. and, and work your ass off in it. Like, right. We, so, sound like, we sound like such curmudgeons. Oh, these damn kids, they don't know how to work. But here's the reality is, that's where I think advantage comes in. The companies who can, who can attract and recruit those people who, who do come with the core values, they have a competitive advantage in the marketplace. For those of us who are parents and those who are, who are soon to become parents, you will give your kids the greatest gift um, I, I like that you, you put something, you created a meme that was on, online yesterday that said something, something to the effect of, of you want to really kill their work ethic, give them a car they didn't earn. Right. And, and I love it. I saw the, a great meme. It showed a kid pushing a lawnmower and it said, go fund me 1972. Right. Right. Because exactly. that's the mentality now, right? If people need money, they go online, they create a page for people to give them money. I need money, so I'm going to create a, a web page so you can give me money, as opposed to going out and earning that. Right, David. We're probably going to launch into we're going to launch into an area that will probably, you know, g g gather extreme comments on both sides. But and that's all right. What I've noticed and what drives me absolutely insane, where we have nearly I'm in I'm in Denver and we have real close to one percent unemployment, and yet it's impossible to drive by any intersection without seeing four to eight people standing on various corners of that intersection, holding signs, anything helps, homeless, need help, going here. They bring their dogs. You see people with families laying out there, you know, kids. And here's the thing. Their kids all have Nike shoes. You can see they have, you know, smartphones with them, whatever. But guess what? It's easier to sit there and ask people to give you something for nothing. I know there's homeless problem. Sure. Not, and we acknowledge there's people are legitimately in need. Yeah. The problem is they're, that they're sitting there and, and 20 feet behind them are businesses begging for help. We need people to install mufflers, serve coffee, do something, contribute. And we have a society now that's built on, hey, there's the contributors and there are people that don't want to contribute or don't, haven't found their passion or whatever. And it's easier to stand there and say, here, just share yours with me. And that whole mentality, I don't like my job, I'm quitting. And then I'll just crash in my parents' basement until I find something for a while that suits me instead of you are responsible for you. You have got to take care of your own needs. So again, going back to this crystal ball, what do I see? I see a lot of parents who are raising their kids with an expanded version of what they grew up with you're different, you're special, do only those things that you love. If it's hard, it, you shouldn't do it. You know, that, that, that quote I hear all the time, if you, do, if you find something you love to do- You'll never work a day in your life, are you or, kidding? Or you'll do it for free, then you do it well enough, people That's will pay you crap. for it. You wanna play piano, you wanna go out, just do something that you really enjoy, be a professional dancer, cheerleader, whatever. The reality is we're not creating, we're not producing something of value. So substance, there is no substitute for work ethic. And even now, those people who do follow, and I have nothing, I have no problem with passion. Just go and work your ass off and you can be really, really good at it. It's old, the old outliers 10,000 hours thing too. It's, but I see memes and it makes me crazy, Eric. And, and I get bad comments. I, I'm, I'm pretty opinionated as well. But this one that goes around all the time, and I hate this one, and, and I've had arguments with my family and others, and it says, everything you want in life is on the other side of fear. 
and I swear I want to slash my wrists and throw up. You know where everything you want, it's on the other side of hard work. Um, that's it. There, if that's, it's not fear. I don't know if there's no fear of success. And granted, maybe some people have some deep-seated, I, I, I feel for you, I'm sorry. But you know what? The people who get, it, it's the old line, and, and, I, and I hate using this example because um, Lance Armstrong ended up getting caught for cheating. But when he says his old campaign, which would have meant more had he not been cheating, that said, um, everybody keeps asking what I'm on. He says, I'm on my bike 50 hours a week, right? Okay, bad example, but it was true. Point. He yeah, was right. on his bike. Things right. aren't on the other side of fear. I don't think people, people, maybe they'd be afraid of hard work. And it doesn't mean that hard work is a guarantee. None of it is. But, but that's what I've always loved about your, about your message. And, and, and those who I work with who are in business, entrepreneurs, um, small business owners and others, they know, they understand Michael Gerber's comment about the E-myth. It's the myth of the entrepreneur, that, that entrepreneur standing on the side of the cliff in the trench coat and the, and the breeze is blowing it back and they look noble. You know what the reality is? Is you work 50, 60 hours a week and you work your ass off. And there's such great rewards at the end of that. Um, and, and that's why I've, I've always appreciated. You took years, a decade of tapping into the hearts and minds of these kids and now working with organizations to get the best out of them. You know, Dave, I, I, I know this probably goes a little bit off topic, but we're such right. good friends. You know, because you were there for my grand opening. My wife and I wanted to do a business together. And a, a, a year ago, we had so much traffic on our street, uh, on the thoroughfare that drives to our to our house. They were building new homes and properties. And I, I got tired of sitting in the traffic. And one day I said, well, what would make me like this traffic? And then uh, I started joking with people and said, well, if everybody gave me a dollar. And from that idea, I saw a piece of land go up for sale, bought the land with a, with a vision that I was going to do something there where everyone would give me a dollar. And it quickly turned into, I want to build a car wash, right? I want a car wash because our neighborhood needed one. And from that, it was, I want to build the finest car wash on the planet. And what I meant by that is, I don't want there to be another car wash anywhere anywhere on the earth that has something, a better technology, better able to serve the needs or wash a car than I do, right? Nothing. So I went to all ends researching car washes and then I wanted to brand it. As you know, I made it look like a castle and I, I focused on the customer experience. Well, with that, all that, now I have this, you know, $3 million car wash on a corner. Do you know where I was at five o'clock this morning, Dave? I was at my car wash dumping trash right? I was sweeping out the base, right? I'm in my, I'm in my, uh, my shorts and a t-shirt and I'm down there and I'm dumping trash, you know, the people have left behind. Why? Because it's hard work. It's not, hey, open a car wash and just hire somebody to do that. The best business owners are people who are, who roll up their shirt sleeves and do hard work. I don't stand on the corner with a sign saying, please give me something because my car wash doesn't have any customers today. Would anybody like to please just put some quarters in my bucket? I, I, I just- I but, just, but also I, doing so, and you've always espoused this, is for managers to get in the trenches and show them, model for them. So many of the young people don't understand great service because they've never seen great service. And as we model that, I did the same thing. I did it, I, I was in- um, um, I was in Kansas City yesterday. I spoke for eight hours. I spoke for two CEO groups back to back, eight hours, got on a flight, got home about 10.30. And I worked till midnight because the people, my, some of the, the designers and others are on the other side of the planet. I don't say that as a martyr. I'm saying that's what it takes. 
That's what it takes to That's work. That's what it takes. It, it, there's, there is no substitute for hard work. I love what Stephen Keek said. He was interviewed once, you know, how talented he is. And most people don't realize how many times his books were rejected, et cetera. But here being one of the most successful authors of all times, he was one time asked, you know, what kind of talent does it take to be successful? And Stephen King replied, and, and this is paraphrased, it's not quoted. He goes, talent is as cheap as table salt. What separates the successful from the unsuccessful is hard work. Talent is as cheap as table, table salt. Yep. Anyone that watches any of these uh, entertainment shows, the, the, the entertainment competitions. Right, so you, they're all good. You watch and you see stadiums full of people who show up and everybody there, with the exception of some of the clowns, can sing. Everybody. It's not about who has talent. Everybody can program. Everybody can do. Everybody can, has got a camera and can be a, what are you willing to sacrifice day and night to roll up your shirt sleeves and do the hard, gritty work? Have you seen a need out there? Before you jump in the entertainment business, ask yourself, does the world need another country singer or hip hop star or basketball player? What need would I solve? Success comes from filling a need the marketplace has. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, while you turn off your phone here, I'm going to do what we call the lightning round right, here at the end of that. Okay, as you go and turn that off, and I will. Sorry about that, Dave. Our listeners, no worries. About that. that was somebody hey, at the car wash that said, hey, wait a second. You've got a dirty bag. Get back down here and clean it up. Yeah, that's what I'm. All right, then we'll, then we'll do this fast. Here's the lightning round. We're talking to Eric Chester. More information at ericchester.com. Lightning round. Um, question number one, short answer. Biggest misperception about young workers, millennials? Um, that they don't want to work hard. Got it. When they understand the why, right? When they understand the why. Got it. Biggest misperception about what you do for a living? That, uh, that I get paid for the hour I'm on stage. I, I speak for free. I, they pay me to fly in hotel, fly in airplanes, stay in hotels, and for the research that I do sitting right here at this desk. That's the work. Most valuable job experience or job that you've ever had? Uh, washing dishes at age uh, 14 for a dollar an hour underneath the table where I had a, uh, you know, an off the boat. Uh, it was a Chinese restaurant. I had an off the boat Chinese uh, owner who sat there and made me wash the dishes by hand and scrape gum off the underneath the table and and you know just no matter how slow it was you know and just stood in front of me and and almost berated me showing me that what I needed to do was provide an unbelievable level of service and value and and be making him money whether it was busy there or not that was just priceless experience got it best advice that you've ever been given um, I, 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 I really believe it, it's, it's an old axiom. My dad would say it all the time. The grass is greener on the other side of the fence, but it's just as tough to mow. There's not a person that's listening to that doesn't think about somebody else has it easier than they do. Look, the reality is it's not easier. It's not greener on the other side of the fence. It's you've got to make your grass green. You got to roll up your shirt sleeves. You've got to take responsibility for your own life, for your own situation, wherever you are right now, and just give the best that you can to whatever pursuit you're in. 
Um, I answered a, I, 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 go, I answered an email today from a guy from Iran who said, I'm blind. I've been hired by a company um, I'm, as a programmer. And he goes, I just don't feel passionate about it. What do I do? And I don't often give advice to job seekers and stuff. I said, throw your very best into this job. Granted, look at what you want to do. Start researching your alternatives. But whatever you do, give your very best to your employer. Give your very best. You might find out that this job could be a lot more than just sitting back going, well, I'm not, I'm not feeling it today. It doesn't matter whether you feel it or not. Give your very best. And guess what? Maybe an opportunity, a door opens, and someone will say, we can move you up. And then you will like it. Throw your best into it. If people want to get a hold of you, hire you, watch you, see what you do, read your books, hire you to speak or consult, how do they get in touch with you? It's easy. Erichester.com. E-R-I-C-C-H-E-S-T-E-R.com. We have a multi-stellar in conglomerate world headquarters that consists of me and my sister. We'll be happy to answer your email, answer the phone, and we'll do our very best to understand your situation and give you the resources that you need. One of my very best friends for the last 20 years we have had um, hundreds of hours of conversations. I don't think we've ever done it in a way that we were uh, allowing others to drop in and listen. So it's been a, a real treat. I will see you on the road or I'll see you at uh, Applebee's or something else, but great for, uh, uh, appreciate you being with us here today. Eric Chester, Hall of Fame speaker, um, deep thinker and uh, making a difference in the world today. Dave, I've never listened to a podcast in my life and I subscribed to yours this morning. I cannot wait to hear what you, who you talk to. You have a great way of getting inside the souls of other people. I would I encourage anybody that's listening to this, man, you don't know what you can glean from Dave Averin. And so I'm just delighted that you gave me this opportunity. I thought you were going to say, I've never listened to a podcast in my life and the hell I'm not going to start right now. And this wasn't going to change. <laughs> You're my Daveologist. I need you, brother. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast. You can hear us on C-Suite Radio and iTunes. Um, be sure to listen to uh, some of the other podcasts as well, some very interesting people that we are talking to and uh, recommend this to others as well. You can learn more about me at visibilityinternational.com. For past and future episodes, be sure to subscribe at theveryvisiblebusiness.com. You can also learn more about David Averin's keynote speaking and consulting at visibilityinternational.com. Connect with us on social media and check out David Averin's latest book, Visibility Marketing at Amazon.com. This has been the Very Visible Business Podcast with David Averin. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.